It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. It is May Day on midday. And and I don't know about you guys, but when I think about uh, May Day, I think about the Soviets bringing out all their new weaponry uh, on the parade. Do you remember those? Were were you too young for that? Chinese were right behind them doing that. I don't know if they still do that. I don't know. North Koreans, too. It was May Day. That was the day that they did that. So... Bob remembers making May Day baskets for all the girls in the neighborhood. Candy. That's what it's all about for me, and uh, that's what May Day means. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Was well, that her name? Uh, May? No, but... Okay. <laughs> Sorry. You okay. threw me there. Yeah, you really did. I, wasn't I know. Ready. That's he, on me. He, was, he wasn't you prepared. You tell me about these things. Well, it's not like we organize anything or plan anything around here. So, anyway, it is May Day here on Midday. Thank you so much for joining us. Scott Foster here with you. And let's check in with Susan Littlefield and see what's going on with her. Well, happy May Day, Scott, and everybody else in the studio. Here's what's happening on the Midday from the farm team. Kicking it all off as it is a Friday. We're going to find out some weather updates heading into the weekend with Al Dutcher. Then Brandon Bennett steps in at 1245 as he talks with an Iowa senator looking at the state of Iowa and how COVID has affected them. And then I'll wrap it all up at 117. Getting comments from Bill Bullard. He's CEO of RCAF USA as he talks more about the online petition they have on knowing where your meat comes from. And that's the happenings from the farm team on the midday. All right. Very good. Thank you so much, Susan. Happy May Day to you, too. We turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. What's going on in sports today? Chiefs are talking long-term deal with Patrick Mahomes, which makes sense. Uh, they are, they are uh, speculating that in his next contract... He could be the first guy in the NFL to make over $40 million a year. A year. Yeah. They need to get the old uh, Kansas City Royals guys in there that signed the lifetime contracts. Remember they did that? They need a lifetime contract with... What they do? Cuisenberry and, and uh, George Brett, if I remember. Quite a few of them. Quite did. a few of them. Had that was in a different era. It was. It was. But they could sure use that with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, sure. but the, the Chiefs have exercised an option for the next couple of years. They would like to get a new deal done with him uh, before training camp starts. Okay. Also, some other good NFL news. Uh, Von Miller, he yeah. tweeted that uh, he's over the coronavirus, which is good. I know folks were concerned about him yeah. a couple of years back. He's really the highest profile athlete in the U.S. to come down with it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty you true. start to break it down. That's not a title you really want. No. Also, uh, give it up to NASCAR. It sounds like they're going to try to pull this off middle of this month with a couple of races. No fans right. down there in South Carolina. I saw a story on all of the stipulations and oh. everything that they're having to do to pull this off. Hopefully it happens. It takes up. It takes a lot of people to run a, a race. Yeah. Holy cow. Now, now they got to do it all six feet apart. Yikes. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan. Stock's down again today. Stock's falling as U.S. companies provide details of how the virus is disrupting their businesses. The S&P 500 lost 2% in the early going, but is still on pace for a small gain for the week. And uh, bond yields rose. The price of uh, oil rose slightly as well. Many world markets were closed for the May Day holiday. U.S. manufacturing retreated again in April, and U.S. construction spending edged up a little bit in March. Those are some of the stories we're watching. Time for us to check in on our weather and see how it's affecting us for agriculture around the world around here. 
we got Paul Perkins in here with us, and uh, boy, temperatures are warming up nicely today. Warmest day in quite a while. Exactly. Yeah, probably headed for our warmest day of the season thus yes. far, with many areas getting into the mid to upper 80s. Uh, the temperatures have been held back a little bit over south central and southeast Nebraska into central and east Kansas, where some cloud cover has prevailed. Maybe a little bit of light rain making it from the clouds towards the Hayes, Kansas area, where temperatures right now are in the upper 60s, upper 60s to low 70s from central and east Kansas on into eastern, about the eastern third of Nebraska. But we do have temperatures more so in the upper 70s to low 80s already at summer-like levels, especially if you're about along and west of a line from O'Neill to Broken Bow, Lexington, Holdridge, um, the in on into western Kansas and northeast Colorado as warm as 82 in western Kansas, but then uh, it's yeah it's 82 right now in Overland, but Hill City with the temperature right now is 69 degrees. So <laughs> just get in your car, if you're, you know we have talked all year at times about how different temperatures are in eastern and western Nebraska, but right now. We got 77 in Blair and 77 in Scotts Bluff. That's uh, pretty good consistency. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, the right ahead of a warm front on into western Nebraska, or right ahead of a cold front in western Nebraska, and also into eastern areas. But in behind this cold front, we do have temperatures already into the upper 60s in the Chandron area. Not going to see that nice of a temperature across the area, but we will be mostly on the warmer side of this cold front as it continues to move through the region for today. We'll be just ahead of this cold front. And our highs will be as much as 20 degrees above normal with the mix of sun and clouds. Those clouds quickly exiting off towards east, and we'll see a lot of sunshine t- start to take hold for today. With the passage of that cold front, rain and thunderstorms are possible in western areas for this afternoon, then across the west and central for tonight. Now, tonight through tomorrow, that better chance of at least seeing some measurable rain will be over western and northern areas of Nebraska, where a quarter to a half an inch of rain is expected. Lighter amounts elsewhere, not looking too promising if you are looking for some rain. Over the weekend into Monday, we will see multiple chances at some thunderstorms and rain with some disturbances tracking east through the region. One of those better chances coming up on Sunday night when low pressure tracks across the southern Kansas, but it will be far from any kind of a rainout or washout over the weekend. Our temperatures will be cooler this weekend through Monday, but still slightly warmer than usual. For Tuesday through Thursday, mainly seasonal temperatures on the way and also mostly dry. A few disturbances may kick up a few stray showers or thunderstorms, but nothing too promising in the way of uh, major rain totals. In the long term, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures mainly seasonal to slightly cooler than normal. For Wednesday through May 14th, western areas could be a bit warmer as some warm air builds across the western thirds of the U.S., the weather will be cooperative to finish up field work with a high likelihood of below normal rainfall for Wednesday through the 14th for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the Midwest. So temperatures at the 4-inch step for 7 this morning, pretty much in the low to mid-50s region-wide in all of Nebraska and Kansas, that exception in far southern Kansas with soil temperatures in the upper 50s. Weather factors affecting the market include a mild spring pattern across the Midwest and continued rain chances for the Black Sea region. The next several days, a pair of disturbances will maintain the chance for occasional rain across the northern and central plains, Midwest, Ohio, and Tennessee valleys, and northeast U.S. Five-day rain totals will be mostly light. Totals, though, could exceed an inch 
in a few locations, especially the Ohio Valley. The overall pattern in the Midwest and Northern Plains offering useful conditions for early crop growth and development. The Delta will have mainly light rain the next seven days, a trend that favors their planting progress and early crop growth. Southern Plains wheat areas will continue with stressful, dry, windy, and very warm to hot conditions through the weekend. Those rain chances, though, increase next week in the Southern Plains and will be an important source, source for moisture for wheat, which has been stressed by a hard freeze and dryness. Black Sea region wheat areas continue with the forecast for favorable moderate to locally heavy rain over the next seven days. It just seems like we're really struggling to get any kind of precipitation organized very well, huh? And it doesn't look too good in the long term because it looks like a ridge of high pressure will continue to build across the western U.S., and that's pretty much going to cut off that moisture source, especially for any kind of an area of low pressure coming out of the four corners that usually gives us a more meaningful rain. We may see some quick passing showers, but overall rain total is not going to be too high over the next several days. Okay. All right. Well, that's the way it goes, I guess. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. again this week that we get to visit with our Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters joining you on the Rural Radio Network and Al, an absolutely beautiful week. A little bit windy but it is Nebraska. Uh, otherwise, pretty darn nice out for our guys continuing to roll in the fields. Will they be able to do so weather-wise headed into this weekend and next week though? Well, I think there's a little bit of uncertainty in regards to precipitation as we go in through this weekend and early into the next week as we have an upper level low that's moving in the Pacific Northwest and it's expected to gradually move its way into the northern plains and shoot pieces of energy out over top of what is basically a zonal flow across most of the central United States. So as these waves move through, we'll have scattered chances of precipitation off and on as this week progresses. And then we'll probably see some warmth coming in later next week. But in the details, the biggest issue is going to be when will we see the convection and who's going to get the best shots of it. And this will be going to tomorrow, or excuse me, into Saturday. Basically, the best uh, opportunity for moisture is going to be well to our south as we have a low, low pressure system over uh, south central Texas. Um, it is going to throw some more precipitation up into western Nebraska as that wave comes out, but it looks like it dies and moves eastward. So I wouldn't expect a lot of moisture, but Sunday we start to see that trough digging a little bit in the western United States, and we do show surface lows that are going to start to develop across the High Plains region. But really there's nothing of any significance and strength-wise to lift moisture up into our region, so really just maybe a slight shower here and there. Monday, though, that energy looks like it starts to transfer a little bit more into the northern plains, and we get a surface low development in Texas. And that should start to uh, lift up moisture. So the main interactive band of precipitation right now is scheduled to be across the Dakotas in northern Nebraska. And that wave will start to dip down into uh, northern Iowa as we get into Tuesday with high pressure filling in behind us. So precipitation across eastern and southeastern Nebraska is probably going to be very lacking with this precipitation event as most of be across the northern plains and eastward of us. By Wednesday, all of that energy moves and transfers itself to the eastern seaboard. We start to see some ridging taking place across the northern plains. We do see some surface low development down in the southwest, but there's just nothing for it for moisture-wise to feed on. So it looks like high and dry warming conditions uh, as that trough in the east moves out on Thursday. Another piece of energy does start to be shown by the GFS model shift down into the northern Rockies. We get into late Thursday, and it is projecting a surface low development late in the day. 
So this was the best opportunity during this week to see some good thunderstorm development, particularly over the southwestern one half of the state as that energy comes out into the central United States. And then on Friday, we get a main surface flow development in southeastern Colorado. And we'll watch for the moisture with this system because it does right now project some pretty significant thunderstorm activity across Texas and also across southern Montana. And eventually that system is going to move out into our region. So as we go into next weekend, I would not be surprised we'll see some severe weather here across the central plains. The question is, will it be to our north? Will it be over Nebraska? Will it rain to our south? And that's an open-ended question at this standpoint. Once this system passes by, as we are going to see a pretty significant warm-up with the region taking place from the west trying to build into our region and a very deep cough across the eastern United States. And if we go further out from the model standpoint, it looks like as we get in the middle of the month, it looks like a very active pattern starts to invade the western United States. And that usually translates eastward by about seven days to very active convective weather across much of the central and uh, southern plains. So let's watch out as we get to the middle of the month. Things might get a really interesting here across much of the central United States, but we should have a significant amount of our planting wrapped up by then. Thanks so much, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, Denver Broncos star linebacker Von Miller has tweeted out some good news that he's now tested negative for the coronavirus. That announcement comes about two weeks after he said he initially had tested positive for the illness. The MVP of Super Bowl 50 is the highest profile American athlete to turn sick due to the pandemic. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs have exercised their fifth-year option on Patrick Mahomes, ensuring that their star quarterback will be under contract for at least two more seasons. But general manager Brett Veach and coach Andy Reid are hoping to reach a long-term deal with the reigning Super Bowl MVP by the start of training camp. That contract could last four or five years and make Mahomes the first player in NFL history to make at least $40 million per season. Since entering the NFL, he's thrown 76 touchdowns and been intercepted just 18 times after being taken with the 10th overall pick three years ago. Former Husker wide receiver DeMorne Pearsonell has been signed as a free agent by the Las Vegas Raiders. Pearsonell had been signed to the Raiders practice squad, but his contract expired in January and he spent part of the spring playing in the XFL. Republican City native Jimmy Sendelar was named Southern Valley head boys basketball coach this week. Now the Eagles have been very successful over the last several years and Sendelar talks about keeping things going. And I think that's a credit all the way back to Coach Miller. I mean, I think he built that culture. And then I think Coach Fincher did an outstanding job of keeping that culture going. Even though they have two different coaching styles, the philosophy was basically the same as far as keeping that winning attitude. And, you know, I'm lucky that I got the coach under Coach Miller. I got the coach with Coach Fincher. So I'm hoping to just kind of keep the, keep the ball rolling. This past season, Southern Valley finished as a Class D1 state runner-up. And NASCAR has set a date to green flag its cup season. The circuit says it will resume its season without fans starting on May 17th at Darlington Raceway in South Carolina. The Premier Cup Series will then race three more times in a 10-day span, beginning with one more race at Darlington before two outside of Charlotte. Now, NASCAR's revised schedule goes just through May. That's a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com.
Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts expressed confidence on Thursday in the new coronavirus test that the state purchased through a no-bid contract with a small Utah startup firm after a local newspaper raised questions about the accuracy of the company's results. Ricketts said state officials will work to ensure that the tests administered through the Test Nebraska program are accurate to avoid giving a false negative result to people who have coronavirus symptoms. We will be setting it up and we will be verifying to make sure it's calibrated appropriately and then when testing our samples to make sure we're getting it right. But I, I want to emphasize this is not some brand new technology. This is companies who had access to be able to deliver the test kits and really kind of make it a turnkey delivery for us with regard to the machines, the test kits and all that. That sort of thing. Though we will be here in the state of Nebraska managing that lab. It'll be Nebraskans that are running it. His comments came in response to questions rising from a story from the Salt Lake Tribune. The newspaper reported that 2% of symptomatic patients in a Utah program run by the same company tested positive for the coronavirus, compared to 5% who tested positive at other Utah sites. Ricketts announced last week that Nebraska would pay about $27 million to Nomi Health for 540,000 coronavirus tests in hopes of expanding the state's ability to test residents. U.S. Senator Ben Sass recently commented on the relationship between the U.S. and China amid COVID-19. Sass says the two countries are very interconnected and America needs to open their eyes to how China is hurting the U.S. China is a different kind of long-term adversary than the Soviet Union was during the Cold War because our worlds, the Eastern and Western Bloc, as we called them back then, were so distinct. What's different now is that China is so uh, integrated into our supply chain and there are so many U.S. companies uh, that have so much interest in the, the growing Chinese you know, 1.4 billion consumers that we have a domestic audience of U.S. companies that sort of advocate on behalf of China. And we need to take a clearer-eyed look at how China is stealing intellectual property from the United States to try to build their military and shrink the U.S.'s qualitative military advantage. SAS says in the long term, China would like to charge tolls for ships to navigate the Pacific Ocean. Investigators with the Nebraska State Patrol have arrested an Edgar man following an investigation into child pornography. The investigation began when the Nebraska State Patrol received a cyber tip from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Upon investigation of the tip, Nebraska State Patrol was able to identify the social media account and user as a 33-year-old Brian Wessels, a resident of Edgar. On Wednesday, investigators arrested Wessels at his home. Wessels was found to be in possession of more than 100 images of child pornography and to have distributed images of child pornography. He was arrested for possession and distribution of the child pornography. And he is now lodged in Clay County Jail. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Austin Jacobson. The 2020 Census is the topic of the next Rural Radio Forum. Join us Tuesday, May 19th from 3 to 4 Central, 2 to 3 Mountain on 880 KRVN. Guests include Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, UNK Professor Dr. Peter Longo, a representative from the Center of Public Affairs and more. We'll learn about the importance of the census, the impacts on rural communities, notably on the agricultural sector, challenges faced by officials to ensure everyone is counted, and more. The 2020 Census on the next Rural Radio Forum. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Amy Sinclair, who represents District 14 in the Iowa State Senate. Senator Sinclair, give us an overview of how the numbers currently stand in the state of Iowa relative to COVID-19. 
in Iowa, there are 6,843 confirmed cases of the COVID virus and a total of 148 deaths, unfortunately, sadly, in the state of Iowa. Those numbers are climbing because the state has put in place some additional testing measures so that we can test where there are hot spots and find out the real saturation, the real gravity of the situation so we know we're working with accurate data. So those are today's numbers. Senator Sinclair, I would imagine Iowa, like Nebraska and Missouri, Kansas, and other states who have a real divide between the numbers in certain counties, and many times they have to do with a rural or urban divide, or even sometimes with regards to certain facilities like factories, meatpacking facilities, and others. Is Iowa seeing those same correlations between the numbers in different demographics? Yep, absolutely. That's exactly what Iowa looks like. We're divided in the state, largely, just as you said, urban and rural and within specific facilities. So I represent a very rural area. I represent all or part of six counties, and three of those six counties have zero confirmed cases, zero deaths. But then you look at other counties around the state, there are a couple of meatpacking plants who have just experienced some terrible spread of the virus, and the other places that are impacted most heavily in Iowa, unfortunately, because they are the most vulnerable population are in those long-term care facilities. So when we look at the state of Iowa, we're looking at, as you say, a tale of two different viruses, if you will, because we have counties that are completely unaffected and counties that are just impacted so heavily that people are staying home, they're avoiding contact, they're doing all of the things that are recommended because they see it day in and day out. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Amy Sinclair, who represents District 14 in the Iowa State Senate. District 14 includes the cities of Leon, Corden, Osceola, Sheraton, and Knoxville. Senator Sinclair, what are those things that the state of Iowa is doing from the state level to help mitigate the spread of this virus across the state of Iowa? The governor has done most of the work along these lines. Largely, those duties are assigned to her through our Iowa Code, I believe it's Chapter 29C, that gives the governor emergency powers. And so most of the measures that have been put in place to lessen the spread of the disease, to flatten that curve, and to make sure our hospitals and health care providers are ready to go for folks who need treatment is coming from her. She put in place closures of businesses. She put in place recommendations for folks to stay at home if they didn't have essential reasons to be out. As a legislature, we've recessed our session. Currently, it's until May 15th, just trying to ease that spread because at the Capitol, you know, constitutionally has to be open if we're doing business. So people from all over the state would come in and go out. So we've uh, suspended session until we can get a handle on this. But again, going back to that rural and urban divide, there comes a point when those major measures that we've taken need to begin to be lifted. And so another measure that the governor has taken is in building and establishing what is called testiowa.org. And it is a place where individual citizens can go and have a pre-screening to see if they need to be tested for the virus so that we can have an accurate count and know what counties are staying healthy and what counties need to have more measures put in place to protect the citizens of Iowa. But we are stepping up and she just this week issued a proclamation that begins the process of reopening Iowa, particularly in those areas that are largely unaffected by the spread of the virus. Senator Sinclair, give us an idea of what that timeline looks like to responsibly start to open things up again. What the proclamation does, and and I do believe it is a responsible, stepped-up reopening of our state, of the businesses and our economy. And and I just want to say, from the perspective of both Iowa and Nebraska, we are key to the food supply chain across our nation. And so we have to keep functioning. If we don't, if we don't continue to provide the food and fill the grocery stores and, and stock those shelves, 
then our economy, our downturn, our not reopening our state will impact not just Iowa, not just Nebraska. It will impact the entire nation and, frankly, the world if that supply chain gets interrupted. And so it does behoove us to step up and, and do this. And I think the governor is taking those steps in some really responsible ways. First of all, May 1st, which is Friday, some of the uh, businesses are being allowed to reopen. We're looking at reopening restaurants and fitness centers, malls, libraries, racetracks, so long as that there aren't patrons there in person, and other retail establishment. They are still following the social distancing protocols that are out there by the CDC, the limited numbers of people who can be there. So while they're reopening, they're doing it in a very responsible way. The second thing is that we're only doing it in a certain portion of our state. Just as I mentioned, we have that rural-urban divide. There are counties where there are hot spots that are testing high. Those counties are not yet going to open on that May 1 deadline. Many of those counties are in central and eastern Iowa, as we spoke about. Those are some places that we have some infections in long-term care facilities and in meat processing plants and so we're looking at those counties that are still heavily affected are not going to reopen so we're doing it in a very measured and responsible way I think and so I'd like to give kudos to the governor for stepping up and doing that it's really important to understand that we've got a virus that we're looking at that truly has changed the way we look at life around us you know we've got the best nation in the entire world in that we're innovative and we are self-starters and we provide for the rest of the world and it's important that we don't let this virus change that DNA of our nation and for Iowa, doing that is making sure that we're able to get entrepreneurs and business owners and farmers and all of the people who keep us moving in that direction. We want to give them the best opportunity that they can to get out and restart those things that are truly great about our nation. Senator Sinclair, the last word is yours. What else about Iowa's response or recovery with regards to COVID-19 would you like listeners to know? You know, I think the big deal here is that we're basing it on data. The governor is looking at data, and that's why we have that testiowa.org that allows us to have the data. If we start opening our businesses back up and start the recovery process and we see the infections increase in particular places, because we have that data system, we're going to be able to respond quickly and mitigate any infections that are caused by a reopening of society. But we need to start making sure that we can keep the food supply chain in place and that states and folks like Iowa are continuing to provide for the rest of the world. That was Iowa State Senator Amy Sinclair, who represents District 14 in South Central Iowa. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett's. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks were falling in morning trading on Wall Street as major U.S. companies provided details of how the coronavirus is disrupting their businesses. The S&P 500 lost 2% in the early going but was still on pace for a small gain for the week. Bond yields rose and the price of oil rose slightly. Many world markets were closed for the May Day holiday. U.S. manufacturing retreated again in April, a victim of the economic fallout from the coronavirus outbreak. The Institute for Supply Management and Association of Purchasing Managers says its manufacturing index dropped to 41.5 last month, from 49.1 in March. Anything below 50 signals contraction. U.S. construction spending edged up nine-tenths of a percent in March as building activity escaped the early impacts of the coronavirus shutdowns. The Commerce Department says the increase followed a 2.5% drop in spending in February. While the overall figure did not decline in March, analysts believe big drops in activity will start showing up in the april report given the impacts already seen in other parts of the economy 
Profits are down at ExxonMobil as the global pandemic reduced demand for oil. The Irving, Texas oil giant lost $610 million in the first quarter, down 126% from the same time last year. The company says revenue was $56.16 billion, down 12% from the same quarter in 2019. But oil producer Chevron turned a profit in the first quarter. It's reporting $3.6 billion in profits, up 36% from the same time last year. But Chevron says its financial picture is likely to be depressed in the future because of the coronavirus. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rugen. Obesity is a leading cancer risk factor. Overweight and obesity are associated with at least 13 types of cancer. Unfortunately, two out of three adults in the United States weigh more than recommended. More than half of Americans don't know that overweight and obesity can increase their risk for cancer. Some states and communities provide support that can help people get to and keep a healthy weight. Activities include supporting comprehensive cancer control programs that focus on cancer prevention, education, screening, quality of care, and survivorship, making it easier to choose healthy food options where people live, work, learn, and play, building communities that make it safer and easier for people to be physically active and partnering with business and civic leaders to make community changes that increase healthy eating and active living. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. One organization is wanting you to know where your meat comes from. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I spoke with Bill Bullard, who is CEO of RCATH USA, as he looks at the petition online that they have when it comes to country of origin labeling. Well, yes, there's been a handful of very powerful lobbyists, uh, the meatpacking lobby, that's convinced Congress that neither consumers nor producers want to know uh, where their beef came from for consumers or to differentiate their beef for producers. So we launched a, a petition calling upon the president and Congress to immediately implement mandatory country of origin labeling for beef, pork, and dairy products. We launched that petition on Thursday, and in five days this morning, we had over 135,000 signers, uh, meaning that it has gone viral meaning that it is a clear demonstration that consumers want to know where their food is from and producers want to be able to distinguish their higher quality product in their domestic marketplace. So what are you guys doing, Bill, to educate, first of all, those consumers of what this all means? Well, we've focused a lot on social media, explaining how it is that we are importing beef from over 20 countries and it is uh, beyond one's imagination to think now. that so countries like Costa Rica and Namibia, Africa and Brazil and Uruguay have the same infrastructure in order to maintain the highest health and safety uh, standards as well as the, uh, the, the best animal husbandry practices uh, that occurs in the United States every day. And so we have tried to uh, pr- convince consumers that the United States cattle producer produces the best beef in the world and does so under the best of conditions, bar none, and consumers deserve to be able to choose to purchase that superior beef product. In addition, uh, we're asking consumers to help the American farmer and rancher by 
choosing to buy products that are exclusively born, raised, and slaughtered in the United States. This is the only way to maintain a viable and robustly competitive um, live cattle supply chain, and we need the consumer's help to do that. I've seen a lot of discussions as well on social media about the amount of beef that is imported and and folks questioning why are we importing. Oh, and that's been a huge problem. And unfortunately, the United States has actually been encouraging more imports into this country, even knowing that those imports are damaging the financial stability of our independent producers. But the USDA has essentially justified that on the basis that consumers would have more choices and lower cost product. But the fact of the matter is, is we're allowing this cheaper, undifferentiated beef to enter the United States and the meatpacking industry is able to price that meat for the same price as the domestic uh, produced product. So consumers are not receiving a price savings and they have no idea if they're being afforded a choice because there are no labels designated where this foreign beef product is even coming from. So we have been pursuing policies that have been damaging our domestic live cattle supply chain, meaning it's been harming our independent farmers and ranchers for decades, and we need to change that. And one way to change that is to give the consumer the choice as to where they want their beef products sourced. Those comments with RCAF's Bill Bullard. I'm Susan Littlefield, the World Radio Network. Pat back on the World Radio Network. Thanks for bearing with us on that last report. Let's talk now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as we take a look here at the close, giving back some of our gains from yesterday, but overall, is there some positive news we can try to glean to get into the month of May? Well, the fact that, uh, you know, we're going to be reopening here. Meatpacking plants specifically are going to be leading the way in your shoes. That's about the only good news I can really glean. Uh, the next big WASDE report will be really the June one, but in this first May one, they're going to give you a quick snapshot of what the new crop's going to look like. So it, it could be a little bit of a scary report, and I think you're seeing folks just not want to get too bullish ahead of that. So that report isn't out until the following week, and so not next week, the week after that, but the odds are you're going to see some pretty big numbers. That and the weather looks pretty good. Now, I will say out east here, it's been wet. Um, there's going to be delays, and I would imagine you're seeing some flooding in central Illinois just given the amount of rains we've gotten in the last couple of days. So, you know, there could be some conditions, some grades in the coming report, but that's all you can kind of hope for at this point. You know, we're not, we're not really seeing anything really followed through with China. Um, you know, it's, you know, the industry was thinking maybe we were going to get, you know, another 10 million metric tons of corn, of beans and, uh, you know, corn, maybe even saying 20 million metric tons is what they were saying a couple of days ago. And, just doesn't feel like that's going to happen today, given uh, you know the the kind of finger pointing that's certain out of Washington and in Beijing. You know, uh, we also take a look here, and China trying to say come back in and say that they're going to be in and try to fulfill those Phase One trade agreements. Is should a guy take too much stock in that, or if it happens, it happens, great. But if not, you were already prepared. Oh boy, you know it's been a tough, tough thing to be doing here for the last year. You know, we've been talking on radio about you know, China and them being a potential buyer of, of U.S. products and it just really hasn't developed. So, 
Uh, I think any rally is going to be started with weather. You know, obviously China's a, a big part of this, but I don't see enough. I don't see that situation getting solved anytime soon. Um, I think the focus in the near term on the markets is getting getting things reopened, getting cars going again, starting to see some bullish data on the economy side, and maybe then we could see some gas and all gas gas prices move up, which uh, you know bring ethanol back into the equation. But we we still need probably I'd say two or three weeks for that to happen. So just got to be patient here if you're long. Again, we're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. He releases a daily newsletter called the Daily Grain Update and Grain and Oil Seeds. Check that out at DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. Again, lower here across the board for much of the grains, but the livestock able to make out some decent gains on the day to start May. And that'll do it for today's midday program here on KRVN. If you missed anything or want to relive any of our segments, you can listen to the midday podcast at krvn.com or by uh, subscribing at Spotify or iTunes. Again, our midday podcast is brought to you by Deveni Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Deveni Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.